Hello, and welcome once again to the weekly inebriated scriptural exegesis and source study, or wise-ass. The drunkest Bible study in all of Oklahoma County, and possibly the only one that takes the Bible exactly as seriously as it deserves. <laughs> Today on the show, we're going to be covering the Book of Psalms. Part 1 of 3. Yeah, that's all we're doing tonight. Enjoy! You know, I'm going to go ahead and tell you guys what I'm drinking real quick, because I won't be drinking it next week. Oh, yeah. It's Cuvée 2, barrel-aged Belgian-style golden ale, aged in whiskey barrels by the Red Bud Brewing Company here in Oklahoma City. And it looked really good. It tastes pretty good. It doesn't taste as good as it looks. Ah, but you know it's it's pretty good stuff. <laughs> and for once, um, you know, think local, drink local, and all that. Uh, for once, I'm living up to to that, and not just drinking my usual Milwaukee imports. <laughs> I usually drink local, but tonight I'm going across the pond for a Bailey's and milk. Nice. Yeah, I've, I don't think I've actually had Bailey's. I always thought it was just like Kahlua or something, but oh, it's, it's really tasty great. with milk. Mm. It's tasty mm. with coffee and milk. I'm being kind of careful. I kind of had my... Trying not to lose my train of thought. <laughs> Good luck. You have it with coffee? What? Wait, wait. You have it with coffee? Coffee. It's... It, the Bailey's is good with coffee and cream. <laughs> what? <laughs> I have a bass, by the way. What? Are you, what? Bass. Oh, bass. The, um, I always I always say this, but bass is the holder of the oldest trademark in Anglo-American jurisprudence. Really? Mm-hmm. That red triangle. Oh. The oldest trademark of any kind. I mean, basically, that was the start of the trademark era. It was when Bass uh, like registered their trademark. And I love how it says trademark in the triangle. Yep. That's the trademark. Look for the red triangle. Then you know it's a Bass. Yay. Wait, what? They give you a tool to pour a black and tan. But there's a tool for that? Yeah, it's called a brawly. Wait, what? I don't know. The idea is to, to pour... Why can't you just pour the denser one on the bottom and, and then... Never mind. Because not everyone is a adept. It really shouldn't be that hard. They just start mixing in like, what's wrong? <laughs> you could just pour them both and let them separate. Yeah, it'd wait a while, but... Yeah, I mean, okay, that would take some patience. But Okay, so we've all said what we're drinking. And now we're going to bang out some psalms. Uh, okay, I, w- I want to start out a little bit with the um, the general uh, attempts to genreify the psalms to say you know these ones are hymns and these ones over here are laments and these ones over here are royal psalms and these ones are thanksgiving psalms and these ones are wisdom psalms and then there's a bunch of kind of various miscellaneous psalms which are smaller genres or mixed mixed genres but no rain fire on my enemies psalms no there's a name for that too <laughs> that's imprecatory psalms ah yeah, psalms of cursing and vengeance. They that fall, it falls under the complaint psalms, uh, the laments uh, as a general category. You know the lament, the song, the psalms of lament because it's like, oh, woe is me, life sucks. God, why don't you kill these people? Yeah, they're always the same, exactly. So there's usually a bit of woe is me before there's the please curse these people and rain down vengeance upon them. Psalm 109 is a good example of a psalm of cursing and vengeance. Or an imprecatory psalm, as it is. Do we have one or nine on the list? No, we don't. Oh no, we do. Chaz, thank you. So I was hoping to. I was hoping that when we go through the psalms, we'll kind of, well, we'll take a a quick moment to say, you know, Mm. according to Armand Gunkel, this falls generally under the category of 
Songs of Zion or you know, whatever it is. So I'll, I'll do yeah. that part. I'll uh, do the genreification. My Bible has its own. Um, it classifies each of them. Of course it does, because yours is the study edition. <laughs> I'm just saying. The, does it follow the same general uh, categories that I was talking about just now? Um, pretty much. I think we can see where they differ. Might be interesting. That will be interesting. That'll be fun. And, and it is, you know, it's kind of a subjective thing because it's not like the Psalms mm. tell you what they are. You've yeah. got to look at them and say, okay, does this have the same like life setting or or, or function in worship? Does it have the same uh, cultic use? Or does it have the same general thoughts or feelings or moods as these other ones in the genre? And does it have a certain diction style and structure? That that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So you look at those criteria and you kind of say, well, yeah, it has all these elements that we usually see in a royal hymn or whatever. I'm sure there's some overlap. And oh yeah, there's overlap and there's mixing. There's psalms where mm-hmm. it feels like someone tried to uh, like to jam together a, a rock ballad in with uh, you know a praise hymn, and it's like, what's going on here? Okay, what? Uh, where should we start? Uh, psalm. Anyone have a number lower than 23? Psalm 2. Okay. Tara, tell us about Psalm 2. Okay. Psalm 2. Verse 7. Um, in my translation, it's, it's, I will repeat the Lord's decree. You are my son, he said. This day I become your father. This is one of the verses that the Christians go back and read as being about Jesus. Uh, yes, they do. Yes, they do. Well, that's because one of the gospel writers put it in there pretty early on. Really? Yeah, who was it? Uh, it was one of the synoptic gospels. I'm oh, gonna... it's in Acts. No, it isn't. It's in Luke, isn't it? Well, Luke Acts is one book. So. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, Luke, Luke three twenty two, and Acts. But isn't it from Mark one eleven originally? Hold on. I like Salah. That's cool. What does that mean again, Salah? I don't know. Um, it means take a drink. Oh, sweet! Mm. I really like it now. Mm. The Psalms drinking game. Sweet. Yes. Every time someone says Salah, I take a drink. Uh, okay, it's Mark one eleven. So it's the original, like the oldest gospel that we have incorporates yeah. this at Mark one eleven. You are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Oh, excuse me. God, I just did a new international version. Uh, strike that. In the King James, and there came a voice from heaven, Thou art my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. So that's Mark one eleven. So in the oldest of the Synoptic Gospels, in the oldest of the extant Gospels, it's in there. Well, it's also Luke three twenty two. Is it similar? Is it like the same? Well, Luke. I mean, it's it's commonly believed that Luke had Mark as as one of his sources. Yeah. So. Is it is it the the Mark part of Luke? Uh yeah yeah. I mean they they look a lot alike. So I'm gonna say yeah. It's during the baptism of the people. So. The mark and priority is generally upheld in in the in, oh, yeah. in the case yeah. of of this um, mark, comparing Mark one eleven to Luke three twenty two. But I want to talk about Psalm two, uh, and specifically, uh, what is the psalmist trying to actually say here? Mm. The original actual meaning, right? Like now, the Christians, right? Uh, the Christians who who really are obsessed with trying to read the original meaning into the Constitution. Don't seem to be so particular about the Old Testament. <laughs> a little bit of hypocrisy there, or intellectual inconsistency at least. So what do you think the original meaning is uh, when the Lord says unto the king, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. Um, maybe it's something about they see the royalty as divine. Yeah. I'm kind of freeballing, but... Uh, that's an odd thing for you to say. <laughs> <Wait>. Okay. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it, in context, this is this is a psalm about um, the relationship between the king and God, right? I've set my king upon my holy hill. Mm-hmm. You know, God's saying that you know he's that he's divinely ordained this kingship, right? Yeah, actually, does the KGV say king? Yeah, because actually, the Hebrew is um, Messiah. It's not using the word king; it's using the word anointed. Messiah, aka mis- Messiah. Cool. Hmm. Uh, we're talking about verse six now. Um, I think yeah, the whole um, I think the whole psalm, at least verses one and two. I'm looking at it in the Septuagint, and I'm not seeing the word for Messiah. Oh well, that's the Greek. Screw the Greek. Uh, I can't read Hebrew. Screw you. <laughs> I would immediately recognize the the word Christos in Greek, but I don't, I don't see it in here. Anyway. Oh yeah, no, yeah, it is king. Never mind. Okay. It's a fairly straightforward, uh, you know, kiss the son lest he be angry. Uh, that's saying bow before the king, right? It's not saying, yeah. like, the messianic things that people think it's saying. It's just basically saying kiss the king's ass because, you know, God's on his side, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's what I'm getting out of Psalm 2. But I can see how people see verses 7 and 12 as highly messianic. So that's important in its own way. Yeah, you could well, read also, it. Like, it's trained, sorry. It's also, like, kiss the son, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's hard for me to read on, on the KJV, but it's trying to say, like, assuage the son so that he, he's a good one. He's a good king. Lest he be angry and ye perish from the way. So, Jesus wouldn't be a bad king. No, Jesus doesn't doesn't strike me as, I mean, until the book of Revelation, he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who gets his wrath kindled just a little bit and starts killing people. Yeah, not until a sword starts coming out of his mouth. Not until the book of Revelation with the sword coming out of his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> then it'd be really hard to kiss at that point. <laughs> hmm. There's another psalm that made me think of... I I tried to make a mental note of it because I couldn't make a note, but it, it made me think of uh, like a messianic prophecy. Well, if you can't tell me which one it is, then we can't, we can't cover it. Psalm 2 is considered messianic by many rabbis. That's That's true. So that was considered messianic even before the Christians started like using it in their gospel stories. Well, I'm sure that's a late interpretation. Well, yeah, of, of course it is. I mean, the whole idea of the Messiah is a late interpretation yeah. that was mm-hmm. put upon this text. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, whole... I mean, in, in the sense, in one sense, Messiah is the anointed one, the King. The idea mm-hmm. that you could reread that as the anointed one, he who is yet to come, who will save Israel—that's the late reading that I'm talking about. Yeah, it's almost kind of like. Um... How the word Satan took on a personification, so did the term Messiah, at least in certain contexts. Well, yeah, Messiah used to mean literally he who has been anointed. Yeah. Uh, and, and as we saw in the historical books, they would anoint the king. They would anoint Samuel, excuse me, Saul. They anointed Saul, and then they anointed David. The prophets would do the anointing. And there was that one drive-by anointing, remember that one? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it meant literally, like, you've gone through this ceremony where you've been ordained as king. Mm-hmm. And then it takes on this whole other meaning of, like, you've been anointed to be this this Messiah, savior figure, uh, who I think originally was, was King Cyrus in the, in the histories, this person who was chosen by God to save Israel from its exile. Oh, really? Yeah. And then they, they go and reread it for, like, later generations, like, oh, shit, we're, we're, we're in the diaspora, we're, we're not... What we'd hope to be, uh, and then they read the savior figure in. But don't tell the rabbis I said that, they'll get all pissy. I won't. Okay. Promise.
What's the, what's the line from 14 that you're talking about? What's that? Ver- chapter 14, verse... All of 14, um, it's pretty much the same as Psalm 53, except they changed God to Yahweh, if you compare them. So they don't say Elohim, they say Yahweh? You know, yeah. Someone took it, um, I don't know which one came first. I think they changed it from Yahweh to Elohim. You know what, I've got to, I mean, we've got to talk about 14.1 for a second. Right? The, That's famous. Yeah, the first half of 14.1 reads, The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. And then it mentions that we're corrupt and do abominable things, apparently. We do. Yeah, we're terrible. We do nothing good. Terrible people who do nothing good. I have no idea where this anti-atheist bigotry comes from, except for possibly the Bible, which has a few other bigotries built in. I, I gotta say, you remember how I mentioned earlier how I wanted a tattoo in Hebrew? Mm-hmm. Well, the other one that's competing is is this phrase here in Hebrew, there is no God, which is straight out of Psalm 14.1. Of course, I would leave the part about uh, foolishness and corruption and abomination out of it. You know, I would just... Do you have an ellipses <laughs> in the front? I just want the phrase, the Hebrew phrase, there is no God, <laughs> right? I mean, and thankfully, the psalmist has put it right there for me. So I can Ein just, Elohim. Yeah, exactly. I can just lift it out. Say it again. Ein Elohim. There we go. There we go. There it is, Psalm 14.1. Um, the source of much anti-atheist bigotry, gotta say. They, they actually oh, have bumper stickers, by the way. If you Google really? uh, the fool has said bumper stickers, they're out there. I've seen that quote used as like evidence of something. Something, in, like it was like a specific retort. I've seen it used in a bad joke about April Fool's Day, but... It was like atheist, like National Atheist Day, April first, you know, and then it has a little Psalm fourteen one. I think that's what I'm thinking of. It's one thing to be a bigot; it's another thing to wear it on your sleeve or your car. Yeah, twenty two is another one that um, the Christians use. Sorry, it's a little more egregious because it's not just a reinterpretation; um, it's just a really bad translation. Uh, which verse are you talking about? That would help. Um, sixteen. Sixteen. Twenty two sixteen. Twenty two sixteen. I seem to remember when Jesus was crucified, there were dogs. Uh, no, no, I don't remember dogs. <laughs> um, they pierced my hands and feet. I suppose that's the key uh, the key part there. Yeah. I think there's a strong case to be made that bits of the gospel were written straight out of the Messianic Psalms. Oh, yeah. We will get to that when we get to the gospels. But here's, you know, here's a good example. Casting lots for his clothing. They do that? Yeah. That's, um, that's uh, verse uh, 18 of Psalm 22. Oh, and they do that. Well, I haven't read the New Testament very carefully. There's part of the New Testament where they kind of jam that in, where Jesus had a single-piece garment, so they couldn't just, like, split it up, because it was all one piece. And so the soldiers cast lots to to take Jesus' garment from him. That's not the only part of the Gospels that strikes me as just a midrashic rewriting of the Psalms. But I don't know what I don't know if that, now is a good time to... I think we should get to that when we get to that, you know? Mm-hmm. I think we should just take the Psalms for what they are right now, and not look forward to the New Testament too much. That's probably a good idea. Because if we, you know, if we don't take them at face value, we're we're kind of playing into that Christian rewrite. Or later on, they kind of midrashically write it into their story, and I, I just find that intellectually dishonest. That's a good point. Yeah, maybe it's worth a maybe it's worth like a brief mention, but not going into it. Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's worth a mention, but um, always with a tone of condemnation. There's a few other things in here, too, where they do that. Um, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Those very words are put in the mouth of Jesus as he's crying his last words from the cross. That's Psalm 22.1. I think we should hold off to when we get to that part of the synoptics. What do you think they were talking about, though? That's just just David saying, oh, God, you know, help. I'm, I'm losing a <laughs> battle or something. He also says, 
That's no, what not, I was not necessarily David, but you know, whoever the psalmist was. Yeah. Saying we're losing. Oh shit. I mean, a whole lot of psalms. A whole lot of psalms are victorious, but a whole lot of them are. Oh God, we're losing. Why aren't you helping us? Yeah, it's so boring. But isn't that kind of weird how they they used it for Jesus? But it doesn't really make sense. I mean, he knew he wasn't being forsaken, and he cried <laughs> out, and only did it in one in one of the gospels, right? <sighs> See, now you're gonna make me look forward to the. Well, <laughs> but I think it's interesting. But to me, it just sounds like well, they did it to make it. Because they're basing it off of it, but it really didn't make any sense. It's in Matthew 27, possibly other places as well. 27:46, and if I remember correctly, they even like put it in Aramaic at some point, which is oh really? Yeah, which is Eloi Eloi lama sabachthani, which is just plain weird. <laughs> but the point is, like, it's lifted straight out of the Psalm Psalm 22. The thing is about I, I, one more comment on on Psalm 22, real quick. If you read the whole thing, there's like all this imagery. There's dogs, there's bulls, there's ravening and roaring lions, there's uh, my heart is like wax, and there's all these different kinds of, of sadistic suffering. Not sadistic, like uh, just pathetic suffering. It's so mm-hmm. terrible. It's all this poetic imagery for suffering. And it, it's obviously not meant to be literal. It's not like he's he's being beset by bulls and dogs and stuff. It's all just metaphors for suffering. Yeah. And, and then what they do is they ignore all the metaphors that don't fit the gospel story, and they go, oh, look at this one, <laughs> pierced! That's literally true! Oh, my God! You know, they, they don't mention the bulls around the hill of Golgotha. They don't mention the ravening and roaring lion and the gaping in the mouths and the pouring out like water. Obviously, no one's being literally poured out like water. Yeah, did his heart turn to wax? Yeah, they ignore all this imagery in favor of this one phrase, and they fix on it and go, literally, it's true! It's prophecy! <laughs> Like, it's really no better than numerology, a biblical mm-hmm. numerology. Yeah, it's just basically let's 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 discount the misses in verses eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, yeah. fifteen, and then we'll count the hit in the second half of verse sixteen. What kind of bullshit is that? Discount the misses, count the hits. I mean, you may as well be doing cold reading. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and there's so much. There's such a corpus to choose from. They can really. I mean. That's what Bible code is. You can find anything you want if yeah. you can arrange the text. I'm going to be posting a good YouTube video on that here shortly. Hey, yeah, uh, Abby, we, we just uh, had one of our own Oklahoma atheists uh, lead a talk for in skepticism, and he broke down the whole Bible code thing. It was pretty good. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And he did it like he did all the programming himself. He's like, I have replicated the Bible code using massive random oh, wow. strings of text. <laughs> yeah. Fairy tale based random strings. It was pretty badass. Yeah, I heard someone doing it with Moby Dick. Yes, that's what he said. See, yeah, Moby Dick is easy compared to what he did. He like built his own Markov chains based on a collection of fairy tales. It's pretty impressive, really. Okay, do we have anything else about Psalm twenty-two? Uh, negatory. I think it is important to mention that generally, not just twenty-nine, but several of these have the. F- I think twenty-three even has the flavor of an old Canaanite war god poem. Uh, mm-hmm. That was originally dedicated to Baal or El, and then is later repurposed in in the service huh. of Yahweh. Yeah, the, these are the most interesting ones, I think, by far. Cause they show a little like twenty four has a little bit of interesting um, cosmology. You didn't know the Earth was grown on top of the sea? No, I thought <laughs> it was formed in a void, and then the sea was came down from above. But apparently, here the Earth is on top of the water. I guess. Established upon the floods. Maybe they live in Hawaii. <laughs> well, that's one of the things that annoys me about Christians is the obsession with Genesis. 
But like, there's there's more stuff in the Bible that's not just the creation myth. There's a lot of other like ideas about the origins of the universe that mm. they ignore. Well, I can see no why... one gets past no one gets past Leviticus. I'm convinced. <laughs> I'm convinced of that too. I got as far as Deuteronomy before I lost my faith the first time. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, if you're really going to go for it, it's pretty I'm all like, oh, okay, I can't believe this. <laughs> Never mind, guess I'm going to have to be a deist or something now. So what's next, guys? Uh, 20, 29 is a big one. It's a, I mean, it's pretty short, but with one of the books I have, I'm, I just did a search for um, Psalms, and 29 was like by far, or it's one of like two that were cited the most. Because it's, like, if you read one psalm, um... It should be number 29. Well, no. If you read three psalms, one of them should be 29. If you read four psalms... <laughs> <laughs> so so what they did in 29 is a global replace? <laughs> yeah, that's, pretty That's good. what we should do. We should do like a top ten list for our, for our next one. Did you know that uh, this is a, uh, yet another mention of Unicorn in the King James here? Where? Uh, twenty nine six. Oh, really? see, this is what you're missing. You're missing out. Oh. Not reading the King James, Abby. Is the unicorn a young wild ox? Yes. Well, it's at the, it's at the very right. end of the verse. Well, that ruins the fun. Oh. A proper translation ruins it. Well, I, I don't know. I, I believe that the King James is the one true inspired word of God, and that's what Pastor Paul Blair preaches. So that's what I'm going to go with. That is exactly the kind of Christianity I hope to critique here in Edmund. Because that's what we have here in Edmund. The, um, so Psalm 29 really shows a lot, um, has detail about the Canaanite pantheon, which, I mean, you wouldn't get from reading, say, the King James Version. Because even though it's perfect and inerrant, um, it misses <laughs> some of the details. It, it does like, pick up quite a bit, uh, translation-wise. But which parts are you talking about? Like just in the first verse, when it um, refers to, was, what does the KGB say? It says, "O ye mighty," um, and the mighty here are actually the gods, which is Elim, which is a pretty rare word because usually um, the word God is Elohim, and El is one of the names for God, but just El plural is Elim. And in the Canaanites, who had a similar language, it refers to the deities that were underneath um, El, I believe. Young translates it as, ye sons of the mighty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, um, my translation just says, you gods. Wow. It does say, it does say sons of Elim. What's your, what's your translation called again? Um, New English Bible. Mm-hmm. And there's other stuff in this, uh, it's all about, you know, it's basically about a storm going over the region um doing all its stuff and they obviously they changed L to um Yahweh and they changed some of the details but do we have any of the actual we don't have any pre you know any... well there's 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 enough of the Canaanite like corpus to draw strong similarities okay I'd be we interested in seeing some of that yeah, like we don't have any Canaanite psalms extant, do we? Um, I don't. There's they have more like a of like a story cycle and legends. I'm not. I haven't. I looked. You can buy a translation for like two thousand dollars, but 
It's not like I don't think you can buy like the Canaanite library in a book yet. Because yeah. they only found like the Ugaritic texts um, this century. The seminarian I've been following lately, um, Gordon Conwell's theological seminary, uh, talks about those at some length, in, with reference to the Psalms in particular, the Ugaritic mm-hmm. texts. Oh, really? Which I thought was unusually honest of him. <laughs> Uh, because you know he insists that these are the word of God, but and then he, and, but then he goes ahead and tells us that they are similar to pre-existent Canaanite texts, and I'm like, wow, how how is it with that cognitive dissonance going there in your head? You know, like, <laughs> okay, that's all I got on 29, but people should definitely read it and look more into it because it's yeah. oh the other thing, um, it refers to the king being above the flood, which is um the Canaanite one of their deities, someone um they sat above the rivers. So it's very similar imagery. Hmm. The God of glory hath sun thundered. Jehovah is on many waters. That that to me sounds like Baal. Because he's, you know, the storm god and all that. Oh, the royal wedding psalm uh, was kind of kinky, I thought. What's that? 45. It's, it's so homoerotic, man. Is Gird it? thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty. Oh yeah! And then my Majesty ride prosperously. I'm sorry that that just struck me as a little homoerotic. Maybe it's because I got gay pride on the mind lately. But well, it's supposedly about a king and a queen. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured out into thy lips. I mean, come on, come on, Eileen. <laughs> I don't know. I remember listening to this on the audio and being like, really? Hmm. <laughs> Okay, I, I guess this one was written by Jonathan too, David. <laughs> that garment smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia. I tweeted that. <laughs> Did you remember to put the hashtag on it? Uh, I'll, I'll figure it out. I, I tweeted it from the Uversion app. app it's so tricky sometimes quite... to, to... Yeah, I, yeah. I, I get you there. I'll figure it out. I've been tweeting in the wrong Bible version, so I suck. Been tweeting in NASB lately. Oh, <laughs> god damn it! I'm gonna cut that out. It's embarrassing. <laughs> How dare you? But I mean, it's even more homoerotic in King James than it is in NASB. Well, I think most things are. The yeah. scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. In general, the 400 years leaves a lot more open to interpretation. The 400 years since it was translated, you know. Yes, I admit that I suck at 17th century English. Luckily, most people do, so yeah. I'm good company. <laughs> the Oklahoma Atheist Godcast is produced by the Oklahoma Atheists. The mission of the Oklahoma Atheists is to develop a community of individuals and families who value and promote critical thinking, free thought, reason, and a scientific worldview and who seek to have a positive effect on the community at large through fellowship, rational discussion, community service, and education. For more information, please visit our website at www.oklahomaatheist.com.